Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us today again on another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. And I'm Jeff Pinkleton, who gets to carry along a fun conversation with a newer friend in my world and a tag team partner, Brett Klemmer, who gets to serve and lead and direct and guide a ministry I and we in my world with the gathering of the Miami Valley really respect called Man in a Mirror. And we previously had on Pat Morley, who is a great guest. And you can check out us either at Rise FM Ohio or on Apple to find out more about when we had Pat Morley on, had a great conversation with him. And one of our gathering champions, who's a good friend as well, Phil Elmore, also works with these guys. So we kind of have a 360-degree setup with Brett that he could be evaluated at any time with me reaching out to Pat, me reaching out to Phil, and we'll know exactly the kind of job Brett is doing. Brett, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I feel like that look on your face right now tells me either I'm going to get us in trouble somehow today or you're going to find a way to take me astray since I'm getting already a little goofy right out of the gate. So it's fun to be able to see books in the background here. What is like, what book back there is either next that you're reading or which one have you just read that was really good? Uh, I've read, uh, there's, there's an author named Carl Truman that's written a couple books lately called uh, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self and Strange New World. And so I'm, I give away a lot of copies of Strange New World. Rise and Triumph, they're both about the same thing, but Rise and Triumph is a little bit more of an academic book. And Strange New World is for regular folk like me. And it's just a wonderful explanation of sort of how we got to where we are culturally and mm-hmm. and um, societally, the sort of the underpinnings of the thinking that um, started, you know, 500 years ago with the Romantics and Rousseau and and um, and all that. And so I, I I love that stuff. I love I love uh, philosophy and and seeing how it applies, like not just sort of esoteric philosophy, but how it really applies to how the world works today. So. That's that's the books that I'm reading out. Carl Truman's a professor at Grove City College, and that's where my son went to college. So, oh, the Grove City of Pennsylvania. Yes. Okay. I've had friends over the years have gone there, and I know had good. Ex- so now, which one did you say is the less academic and probably the easier, better? Yeah, strange new, strange new world. Okay. Uh, it's about half. It's about half as thick and uh, a little bit more accessible. And frankly, it's also got some new, um, new information that came that in addition to what's in Rise and Triumph. So yeah, Strange New World's fantastic. So so you had me at half as big. That's yeah. That's where I'm <laughs> yeah, locked me in. too. Well, that's good to hear you say that right out of the gate, Brett, because that's the, those two books have both been on my radar. I've seen, heard good things about it. So I think I've got new on my reading list just from what you said right there. So there you go. Yeah. Let's jump into two things. Let's talk a little bit. Maybe give a little background in case people are not familiar with Man in the Mirror. Talk about that, and then give us kind of your three minute testimony. Yeah, so Man in the Mirror itself started out as a Bible study in a bar. Pat Morley is our founder, and he was a very successful commercial real estate developer here in Central Florida. Had one of the 100 largest privately owned companies in Florida back in the 80s. He was also on the board of Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now Crew. 
And Dr. Bright really encouraged him to start a men's Bible study, a business men's Bible study. So he started uh, in 1986 at the Villanova Bar and Grill that a friend of his owned on Friday mornings. It was empty, so he let him use it. That was called it was uh, it was called TGIF, and then eventually became the Man in the Mirror Bible Study. And then in '89, he did a he did a series at the Bible Study early in the year about the 24 problems men face, and then that series became the book, The Man in the Mirror. And so the man in the mirror went to the publisher and about just a few months before the book came out, the song came out for Michael Jackson. So there was no, no intent there. And it just an unfortunate coincidence, but so the ministry's grown from just a, a, a guy leading a men's Bible study to uh, writing books and then doing men's events and churches and then doing leadership training. And then to in the 2010s, we started a field division, so we have guys all around the country, including Phil Elmore that you that you mentioned, and those guys are are trying to just be a, a resource to pastors and leaders and churches and helping them figure out how to disciple men more effectively, more strategically. And then now we're on, on sort of the newest phase of Man in the Mirror, um, which is really targeting mature Christian men to teach them how to disciple younger guys. Yeah. Now, are you tying that directly to the spiritual father thing? Yeah, yeah, that that is where Man in the Mirror is sort of putting the majority of its new development efforts now is in an initiative called Ten Thousand Spiritual Fathers. So we're um, we're kicking that off literally this this Saturday in Orlando is the first orientation, and we have uh, orientations across the country from San Diego, Phoenix, uh, Indianapolis, Houston, Orlando, Naples, and then Dayton is uh, the first of October. I think it's October, October 8th, I believe, is the date. The 8th of October, like yeah. I said, uh, yeah. is uh, is Dayton. And so actually, I'll be the one coming up to, to do that orientation. So the goal of the orientation is to um, give an opportunity for older guys, you know, guys over 40, 45, all the way up to in their 70s or 80s to come and learn about what is it, you know, why do we need spiritual fathers? What does it mean to even be a spiritual father? And then what are some of the basic skills and requirements to be a spiritual father? And then at the end of the day, they get a chance to decide, like, is this something that I want to do or not? Now that I, now that I have the information, um, now that I have tracks to run on, is this something that I think God's calling me to do? And then from there, it goes on to connect guys with other men that are being spiritual fathers, give them a, a strategy to go engage with another guy, with a younger guy as um, you know, you don't, you don't walk up to a guy and say, Hey, can I be your spiritual father? You just mm -hmm. walk up to a guy and ask him out for coffee. And hopefully that develops into a meaningful relationship. And then, you know, and then all the all the um, support mechanisms and training, ongoing training that we'll offer to those guys in the days to come. So obviously 10,000, it's called 10,000 Spiritual Fathers because that's our vision, but to have 10,000 by the end of 2025. And, you know, what the question we ask is, what would it look like in this country if, if 10,000 mature Christian men were intentionally engaged in the lives of younger guys and and I'll say this, both inside and outside the church, we think that would be a, a pretty a pretty big impact on people. And then ten thousand is just the first sort of the first step in nationwide. And then why not ten thousand in every MSA, you know, metropolitan statistical area? Why not ten thousand in every state? Why not ten thousand in other countries as time goes on? So we'll we'll see what the Lord does. We're we uh, we're holding it loosely. We have strategies. You know, a man plans his way, but the Lord orders a step. So. Mm -hmm we're uh we're just sort of putting one foot in front of the other so before we get in your testimony i mean i know this is an important thing for you guys right now so you could have gone down 
a whole bunch of roads and made an impact. I mean, I know I'm constantly daily with what I do with the gathering in the Miami Valley as we connect men to men and men to God. I'm thinking there's so many ways we can go. Like one of the things we're working on right now is just really going old school and simply helping people understand their devotional life. Like that's one mm-hmm. area. I mean, you know, we're big on retreats. We do about a, a retreat a month, a couple of them each year, three or four are really big. The rest are kind of small. But where, what got you guys to a point where you said, okay, you said earlier, Brett, the, the bulk of your time as a ministry is going towards a spiritual father thing. How did you choose that over a whole bunch of other stuff you said no to? Yeah, I think we're trying to listen to what God's telling us. And I just want to say right off the bat, like there's a tendency for people to feel like their their solution is the solution. And our solution is a solution, sure. not the solution. So there are there I think there are a number of of um, young men. We know, for instance, the vast unfathered generation, guys in their twenties and thirties, at least half of them spent a significant period of time in a home without a biological father. We know that if you look at the statistics on faith, on you know, for instance, the religious affiliation study that Pew has done for decades, there's a group called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Mm. And uh, those are the people with no religious affiliation, and that number has gone up 24% in the last 20 years. So let me give you let me give you a little perspective on that. The Second Great Awakening is considered the greatest revival in American history. Church attendance increased by 11% over 20 years during the Second Great Awakening. So this is double. This is twice as big as that religious movement, and it's away from Christianity, away from the church. First time in our history. And if you look at generationally. While it is happening across all generations, it is vastly, the guys in their 20s and 30s are vastly overrepresented in that group that are um, religious nuns. However, there's good news in that too, because we partnered with a with a researcher, Ryan Burge, who's doing some of the greatest, some of the most comprehensive research on de-churching right now. And the interesting thing to me is like a majority of those people, if you ask them, would you be willing to go back to the church? A majority of them say, yes, I would be willing to go back. And so, and the reasons that they're leaving are not what you'd expect. It's not politics. It's not wokeness or, or over conservative churches. It's not clergy scandal. It's much simpler. It's I moved and never plugged in in a new place, or I just didn't feel like I fit in, or my friends don't go there. And so what really what it really shows is just a complete lack of meaningful relationships, meaningful community within the church. And I think a lot of young guys, you know, especially guys that grew up in the church, they see a church that's swayed a lot to the to the experience, what I call the experience church, you know, great music, great sort of inspiring preaching, lots of volunteer opportunities. But there's just no soul level relationship development. And so, you know, why are why we we feel, you know, when we talk to younger guys, one of the recurring themes is I was looking for soul level friendships and I didn't find them in the church. And so I started looking elsewhere for them. And the the tragedy is they're not finding them anywhere else either. We have a obviously we have a an epidemic of depression and anxiety. And again, vastly overrepresented in, in Gen Z and millennials. And uh, we, we, we would say it's just from a lack of meaningful relationships. And so we want to help that. That's where we feel like God's calling us to plug in is how can we get mature Christian men, frankly, guys that we've been, that man in the mirror has been focused on for 35 years. Now, all those guys have sort of aged with Pat 
right? So they're all in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and they're empty nesters. They've served on the committees at church. They've taught Sunday school. They've led a small group. They've done all the things. And they're now they're coasting. They, I, I feel like a lot of these guys have sort of taken their foot off the accelerator and they're coasting into the end of their lives spiritually. They're spiritually retiring. And the fact is that the the as as we say, the closer a Christian is to death, the more he has to contribute to the kingdom. Amen. And so we want to energize and inspire those guys to reach out to the younger men in their church, but also to reach out to the younger men in their families and communities, workplace you know, those kinds of, those kinds of opportunities and just come alongside a guy and develop a meaningful relationship, have meaningful conversations, have meaningful experiences so that then you have the opportunity to bring the light of the gospel into their lives and show them how it can, how it can really impact their life on a daily basis and for eternity. So you joked before we came on here about not sharing your testimony. And I feel like that's going to end up happening because you keep saying stuff that makes me want to ask more questions. Let me give my testimony because that'll it'll kind of tie into this. Good. If that's all right. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in a Christian home in New England. I'm a Boston sports fan, and and I grew up outside of Boston, so I love all things. I love I love all things Boston sports and Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. But um, I uh, grew up. My my family was very very um, firm and strong in their in their Christian beliefs. I went to a great church growing up in Lexington, Massachusetts, where all the Revolutionary War stuff happened. And then I went to a liberal arts school. I, I went to a school in New England called Tufts University that put the liberal in liberal arts. And um, I sort of I sort of stepped away a little bit and I ended up in a fraternity. And part of the reason that I ended up in a fraternity actually was because that's where I found meaningful relationships. I tried some of the student Christian uh, groups, student ministry groups, and everything felt very surface and surface level. But when I, when I joined my fraternity, man, I felt like I had brothers and I actually wrote an article on the man in the mirror blog, what my fraternity taught me about discipleship, because, you know, the depth of relationship, the dedication to a, learning a curriculum, to having values that we had to live by, to doing life together, to taking care of each other when things were down, to celebrating victories together. You know, a lot of that, a lot of that's kind of informed me, me later in life as I've dealt with men's discipleship. And so I graduated from college. I was far from God when I graduated from college because I had worshiped at a different church, the church of Alpha Sigma Phi. And um, I met a girl, you know, that, that's the classic story. My girl happened to be a preacher's daughter and we fell in love and, and she had grown up in the church also and was feeling a little stagnant. And so we kind of had a journey back to faith together. And then I got waylaid. I, I started a, a software company in the late nineties with some friends and we were, we were killing it. Like we were doing fantastic. Grew from, from uh, five to 36 employees, you know, a million dollars in revenue, our second year uh, in business, everything was looking really good, but I was gone all the time. And I had two toddlers at home that really didn't know me. Uh, one day I called my wife to tell her that I had a, another last minute business trip. And she said, that's okay. It's easier when you're not here. And I thought, that's, I don't think that is okay, actually. And so, and so, you know, she just said to me, look, I know you're trying to build a company. I know this is a dream of yours, but you're, we're getting left behind. You know, your kids don't know you. You're gone in the mornings before they wake up. You're off at home after they go to bed. You're traveling a fair amount of the time. We don't really have good conversations. We're super active in church. So I was rushing home on the weekends to do ministry and then abandoning my family during the week to build a company. 
And so it all came kind of came to a head and a buddy of mine called me up and our wives were in a small group together. And he said, Hey, I think we should get the husbands together for small group because I'm pretty sure the girls are talking about us. And, uh, I said, I'm pretty sure they are too. And so I joined this group and I, and I grew up in the church. So I said, well, we got to study something, right? What are we going to study? And he said, I don't know. They gave some book away, some men's book away in church, you know, last month, just bring that book. And that book was the man in the mirror. And so before I knew Pat Morley, before I knew the ministry, I was in a small group in my church with seven or eight guys. All of us were ministry leaders in the church. All of us were had huge struggles going on in our marriages and personal lives. You know, I start reading this book, the first, the first chapters, you know, leading an unexamined life. The second chapter is the rat race. The third chapter is, are you a biblical Christian or a cultural Christian? And I felt like I was reading my memoir, you know? So that book and those guys. You know, that got me into scripture again and really showed me the truth of scripture and made me apply it to my life. And so within a few months, my wife was like, I don't know what's happening, but I like it a lot. So keep going to that group. And that was good timing because the market tanked and all of our investors pulled their promises for venture capital for our software, a little software company. And so by the end of 2000, we were out of business and I was employed at Man in the Mirror. So it was a crazy year. 2000 was a crazy year. Everything changed in my life at that point. And I've been here since November 30 of 2000. I've been at Man in the Mirror. So coming up on 22 years in the ministry. And so, you know, that that experience, both in college and then in that small group with those guys, it basically showed me what meaningful relationships look like and how they do change your life when you have men that will invest in you and will lock arms with you and and so that that's why I love what we do. And that's why I'm so passionate about 10,000 Spiritual Fathers, because I've had one, I've been one, um, and I know the impact that it can have. Well, suffice it to say, if you would have not shared your testimony, we would have been highly cheated. There's so much in there that I feel like I've just learned about you in a way that gets you way beyond 3D to me. So you are obviously a very relational guy. I know a lot of ministries and churches will talk relationships they don't back it up necessarily. I was, I'm tied to several different organizations that do men's ministry. And when I was out in Montana recently, a guy from Colorado pulled me aside and he said, Jeff, I don't know what exactly day to day you do, but I can just tell with your other two guys here, it's clearly very relational, like not talk, you do it. And I, th I obviously think that's true with you, Brett. So in your role, you got guys out, out in the field who are area directors like Phil, you got guys who oversee maybe a few of those guys, you got Pat, you got the board. What is the relational side of you look like in this 360 degree format? Internal to the organization, you mean? Yeah, as far as leading, I mean, you obviously you're dealing with donors. I think you were just recently, I think Phil told me in Dayton, meeting with a donor. Yeah. So you're dealing with some donor stuff as well. I mean, how do you lead, serve, prioritize your time in your role? You know, you lead the organization in one sense. There's obviously a board. Tell yeah. me about the relational time and how's that split up and anchored with who you are? Yeah, that that's a that's a huge question, but let me let me give you a little example that that might give you a better answer. In 2016, my best friend was the president of Man in the Mirror, David Delk, and we had become best friends. I've spent the first couple of years sort of a little uncomfortable under his leadership because I was I was pretty arrogant and and um, self confident. You know, in my 30s, you know, just felt I knew more than everybody and. I'd done a few things at that point and um, was just stupid. But um, David and I had this interesting relationship because there was a, 
in our in our office, we've actually moved since then, but in our offices at the time, there was a Circle K that was a, about an eight or nine minute walk away from the office. And so almost every morning for 16 years, David and I walked up to Circle K to get a Coke, to get a soda, and then walked back. And so I estimated over the 16 years, conservatively, we spent about 25,000 minutes on those walks. And we talked about everything. We talked about work. We talked about family. We talked about church. We talked about faith. I got correction on those walks sometimes. I got encouragement on those walks a lot of times. I got counsel and advice. And of course, over time, it became more two-way, you know, both of us sharing with each other. But David was very much a spiritual father to me during that time. Now, he was only a year older than me, so it wasn't an age thing. It was just a maturity thing. And, you know, he really changed my life. So Pat had that initial huge impact on me through his book, The Man in the Mirror. Then I come to Man in the Mirror and I meet this guy, David Delk, and he has a huge impact on me. And um, and so then he he told me in 2016, he was he was going to he's going to leave. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. He was Pat's succession plan, you know? So he told me he was going to leave and we prayed about it a lot together. And he, he told me he was considering it. And then he told me that he, you know, he really felt like that's what was God was calling him to do. And so Pat came to me and he said, well, do you want to be the new president of Man in the Mirror? And I thought, you know, I've got this great job. I get to write and speak and travel. And I have a little team of people that I manage. I have no financial responsibilities. You know, this is great. You know, why would I, why would I take on the, the extra responsibility? Because, you know, money wasn't, wasn't that big a motivator for me. And um, so Pat, Pat was an evil genius. He said, well, you know what I'd love it if you would do just just on one side, like on a one pager, just if you were to run Man in the Mirror for the next five years, what would your vision for it be? So I, I, I couldn't do it on a page. I did it in a page and a half. And of course, by the time I was done, just like Pat knew would happen, I really wanted to do those things that I, that I had written down. But the one thing that I was really worried about was, you know, when you're the president of a ministry, you have fundraising responsibilities. And so I really didn't know if I wanted to do that or not. And Jeff, I got to tell you, that's been the best part of my job. And the reason it's been the best part of my job is because of all the great people that I've gotten to spend hours talking to, getting to know, interacting with. And yeah, we talk about money a little bit, but much more, much more. We talk about our lives, our families, where we're at spiritually. I've got some really, really mature men that that also donate to the ministry that I can go to if I've got a question or an issue that I want to talk to somebody about. I've got guys that invest in Man in the Mirror that come to me with personal questions at times. If I had known what those relationships were going to be like, I would have jumped. You know, I wouldn't have even hesitated. And so I, I just, I love the opportunity to interact with these people. And, you know, one of the interesting things to me about, about um, high capacity people is that nobody treats them just like a normal person. You know, and now everybody treats them like they have something for them, like they're they're a commodity, and and it's it's just a wonderful thing to have some of these some of these folks that I can interact with just on a personal level, you know, hang out, have breakfast, and and um, you know, and they're so kind, they're so generous. I don't I don't have to ask them for anything. They're so generous um, that I just have to answer their questions, and but in the meantime they've built into my life and I hope I've built into some of their lives too. So 
We've got guys around the country. I tell them that all the time. I'm like the best part. You think the worst part of your job is raising support. It's the best part of your job because you, by nature, it is an individual relational activity that you get to engage in. And, you know, God will handle the financial part of it. You handle the relational and, and loving and caring part of it. And God will, God will provide, you know? And so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that gives you maybe a little taste of where I'm coming from. Well, I think what's what's exciting about what you said, because I mean, you totally threw me for a loop and you could see my reaction when you talked about uh, yeah. what, what you didn't want to do versus what's been the best part of your job. And I think, I don't know how much you guys utilize nationally or on a regional field level mission increase, but we've gotten pretty connected. Oh, yeah. yeah, we've gotten pretty connected with mission increase. I'm actually going to a dinner with some of my gathering guys tomorrow night over in Columbus. Actually, Phil's going with us to a National Christian yeah. Foundation dinner. And I would say over the last 10 years, my heart has really changed and really understanding a big part of fundraising. Because most people that have to do it don't wake up like, yeah, I get to go ask people for money today. But I think when you yeah. see it as a discipleship opportunity, and when I look at the stories over the years of guys or couples or families who have given to us as maybe their first either giving thing period or we're the first parachurch thing they've given to, God's up to something. There's a sense of growth, discipleship that's taken place. And why would we shun that? Now, right. I'm not perfect. There's still days I'm clearly anxious and apprehensive, and we've got a fundraising breakfast that we do where we share the gospel, and there's upfront fundraising, not at the event that I need to be doing, and it, it has its challenges, but man, you just man, you just gave me a great investment in, in that soundbite um, and what you shared. So as we're talking, and like I said, I think the relational side of you is probably beaming through headphones and speakers and, and audio outlets and whatever. <laughs> what Brag on yourself and man in a mirror for a little bit. What do you personally and what does the ministry do very, very well? And you seem like you would be comfortable answering the, the alternative part of that question. Where do you, you know, John Acuff Ak- yeah. says, we have to be willing to suck at some things. Quite honestly, Brett, yeah. where, where do you suck at a couple things? Wow. I don't, I don't, I don't really think that way. So that's going to be hard for me to be honest with you, but I'll tell you what we do. Well, I think, I think we know, I think we know men. Well, I think we really work hard to know men, not just, not just sort of buying into the, the cultural tropes about men, even the, even the cultural tropes within the evangelical world about men. Um, I think we're really uh, thoughtful and, and engage, you know, we, we engage in research. We really, dive into what's going on. We're looking at at some good thinkers and we're gathering some of those good thinkers around us to give us advice and input. And so I think we're good at knowing men, but I think organizationally, the best way I could describe it is by our values. Our values are love, vision, excellence, and resilience. And uh, these are not, I tell people, these are not aspirational values. Uh, we had a consultant come in and help us develop those values. And he actually said, if you're going to send five people to Mars on a mission from Man in the Mirror to meet the Martians for the first time, who are the five people that you would send? And so we we picked the five people. And then he said, all right, now I want you to describe those people, you know, what they're like, you know, why, why would you send them? What is it about them that you would, that you would choose? Why did you choose those five people? And out of that, we found that these these four values, that these are people who love well, who have great vision, who are excellent in all that they do, and, and who are very resilient. They can overcome obstacles. Those values aren't things that we aspire to. Those values are things that describe us. And so I've got a I've got a team, we've got a team here that loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and they love their neighbor as themselves. They're they're good to each other, they're for each other every day. 
I've got people who do work um, with incredible excellence. When something's not right, they're, they want to fix it um, no matter what it takes. Um, and so they're, they work really hard to do things with excellence. Um, a ton of obstacles that we've had to overcome. COVID was a great example of that. You know, our team went from, uh, for instance, we had to slash payroll. Uh, we were very preemptive. We got out in front of it when COVID hit. And so we had to slash payroll. And so I went to folks and said, you know, we're, I'm going to ask everybody to go to a four-day work week and cut your pay accordingly. And not even a, not even a whimper, like, that's great. Well, what, what, whatever it takes, we'll do that. You know, and then over the course of the summer, we, everybody worked from home and uh, we, we have Microsoft Teams. And so the, our meme game is good. Our gift game is good because uh, our, our team is hilarious and they love to, they love to communicate with each other and joke around and tease each other. And we just stayed bonded, you know, we just stayed together. And then this vision that we have to reach men with the gospel, to help churches disciple men more effectively. And right now to help 10,000 younger men find spiritual fathers and help 10,000 mature Christian men find a new lease on their spiritual life by investing their lives in younger men. That's a big vision that animates us every day. Wow. There's so much good there. I, I, I don't even know where to start unpacking all that. Well, let me jump to the little short rapid five questions we do. Yeah. And then we'll get on a couple more big things here. But um, Brett, what's your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Count Chocula. I love Count Chocula cereal, man. Just saw a box of that the other day at a store, and they actually had some just, kind of new play it on It just that came one. back out, yeah. yeah. I saw that. What's your favorite book you most like to gift to other people? And Pat Morley probably won't even listen to this, so you're okay. Well, I, it depends on the situation. I've given out a lot of Strange New World lately, to, especially to like donors and board members. Um, if a guy wants a great biography, I give him Team of Rivals, which is the story of Lincoln building his cabinet. Yeah, that's that's probably the two books that I that I give out the most. Okay. The family's vacationing. You're going from point A to point B. How many kids do you have again, Brett? Two adult kids. Okay. Well, let's say they were younger. Or, do you have a grandkids yeah. yet? No, I have three grand dogs, but no kid, no grandkids okay. yet. Well, let's assume your kids are younger or you have grandkids. You're going, you got that bathroom break. Someone had to stop you sooner than later. And you're like, well, we're already here. Let's just eat here instead of stopping 15 minutes down the road. The exit oh, yeah. sign said McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out Burger. Where are you going? Chick-fil-A. Yeah, we're going to Chick-fil-A. In-N-Out doesn't have a shot? It's got a shot if there's no Chick-fil-A. Okay. McDonald's? No McDonald's, uh, we'll be a Cracker Barrel rather than McDonald's. <laughs> what movie, if we're, if we're going old school and we're flipping channels, what, yeah. movie, what movie gets you sucked in every time? Uh, probably We Were Soldiers, the Mel Gibson story mm. about the Vietnam, the air, air cavalry. Okay. That's, Love that movie. That's a new answer to the question. I don't think anybody's ever given that one. What's your favorite trendy clothing item that you bought into hook, line, and sinker? I don't know if it's trendy or not, but I wear skate shoes uh, because my my feet are more comfortable in them. So I've got Vans. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so I, I wear a lot of skate shoes. Almost bought a pair. The other. Two of my boys are pretty into Vans, and I almost bought me a pair the other day. And they had a pair of, like, black kind of leathery with, like, three or four kind of pastel-looking color stripes. And I could just see my son, who's probably the coolest of my kids as far as style, and he just kind of had that look like – not dad it's not it's probably not happening for you so <laughs> i got a pair on right now <laughs> I'll, I'll stay with my hey dudes i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to make it work with hey dudes so that's the only remote style thing i got going for me at all <laughs> so well let's uh let's kind of come to a close here 
I would love to hear a couple testimonies, maybe something personal with you, maybe something with either with a church or one of your field reps, some kind of story you've got. Give us a great testimony as we kind of go to a close here. One of the resources that we created for spiritual fathers and, and really for anybody to use is a we're excited about, I'm excited about journaling. We're all excited about journaling. And I know guys struggle with journaling because it's a blank page. It's a little scary sometimes. You don't know what to write. So we started this line of journals called Ritual and takes guys through five categories of their life, health, origins, tribe, which is their relationships, vocation, which includes finances and soul. It's designed for a guy that's not a believer. An unbeliever would be just as comfortable using this journal as a believer would. And because uh, it's got prompts in it, you know, and then a little plan at the end of each topic. And we, we've got I've got a, you know, a guy, uh, a guy in Atlanta used it with his son and his neighbor. And the neighbor was was a, a de-churched guy. And um, through the conversations that they had using that journal together, the guy, you know, renewed his faith. A guy in uh, up in Maryland, one of our area directors used it with a couple of young guys that he'd been introduced to. One of them ended up getting baptized at the end of the of their time using that journal after about six months because of the conversation, the meaningful gospel conversations that they'd been able to have because of this journal. So it's really fun to see guys get engaged with these personal relationships, talk about important things. We want to give guys an opportunity to have important conversations, not news, weather, and sports, but also not like, you know, I, I I go to a church with a lot of Bible college students in it. And, you know, I say to them a lot of times, like, hey, these, I, I understand these theological conversations are interesting to you, but, but are they meaningful? Mm. You know, are you able to apply this into your life? And if you're, if you're not, then it's just, you know, it's just academia. It's just, yep. um, it's not helpful. So I uh, love seeing guys apply the scripture, but apply these concepts to their lives practically and then see them pursue their relationship with God. So we get we get the opportunity seeing God, you know, families restored, uh, relationships, you know, repaired, marriages restored. Um, it's so much it's so much fun um, to be a part of that every day. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure we get this podcast out. We release them on Thursdays and try to get it out before October 8th. So it might do some last minute push for people who hear oh, this. Awesome. Uh, just so you know, I have texted Phil Elmore while we're, while you answer that last question. I'm like, as a donor, I would like to know where my journal is. I do not have a copy of this journal that Brett's talking about. <laughs> so as one of your monthly donors, I'm a little f- trying to figure out what's going on here. Cause uh, I think people that know me right now know I'm trying to do a better job of journaling. It's, tr- it's typically trying to go towards uh, the WhatsApp app that I'm doing with some people with Mark Batterson's 40 day draw the circle, but you're selling me on this journal. Yeah. So uh, we, we got to get Phil into action here. Maybe you can rebuke him, have a little tough love uh, CLC coming up in about a month. Yeah, we'll have, I, I will, I will tell you, we've, we've gone through a couple hundred of them just in the prototype and they're at the press now getting the actual production version is coming from the press. So we'll have them on October 8th. There you go. What's uh, what's the best way people can find out and know more about you, Brett? Where, where can they go? Yeah, we have an awesome website, maninthemirror.org, just like the name. And um, great article. There's a ton of articles on there. If you click on the article section about uh, lots of things related to Christian living and leadership and and spiritual fathering. And then uh, we've also got a pretty substantial Bible video Bible study library. We've been we've Pat's been holding this Bible study since 1986. It's still going today, every Friday morning, seven o'clock, 80 to 100 guys there. 
and uh, we cut we uh, we share teaching responsibilities now. But um, we've been videotaping that um, videotaping. Listen to me. We've been uh, recording it and uh, posting it on the on our YouTube channel, and also you can access it from our website and lo- and lots of other information, resources, books, Bible studies, all at the manandthemirror.org website. Yeah, I echo what you said there about articles. I, I go to it probably at least once a year to go pull up that one article. If I haven't saved it about the letter from a man in a pew to his pastor oh, on yeah. a given Sunday, that's a great. I've used that message as many a times over. So, well, Brad, thanks for, if nothing else, you've invested in me today. I feel like there's several touch points conversationally about relationships, about journaling, about a number of things that you've kind of spoken into my life. And, uh, Look forward to seeing you here in a few weeks. Yeah, me too, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. Blessings, Brett. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.